The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversation with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a complement to the Numinous School, my online intuition development course, and it's produced with the support and encouragement of my patrons, listeners who enjoy the show and let me know with a financial high five. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, I'll let you know how at the end of the episode. This week, I'm speaking with Shayla Logan, and she's sharing the fascinating story of how she found herself homeless and is now a thriving entrepreneur with a successful coaching practice. Now, there is a lot of differences between Shayla and I on paper, but I found her story so resonant and she's so relatable. I really enjoyed this episode. There were a lot of surprises and twists and turns I didn't expect. I think you'll really enjoy this show too and really enjoy Shayla. I connected with her over Skype. She was at home in San Diego. So Shayla, how old were you when you became homeless? I was 19. Wow. Okay. So you're 19 years old and it's the first night that you don't have anywhere to go. What was the scariest part of that for you? You know, I think the circumstances of how I ended up homeless were, were not a very pretty situation. Essentially my, um, my mother and my stepfather had stolen my money and, were supposed to pay my rent with it and instead used it for a down payment on a house that they moved into that I wasn't allowed to live in. And I remember, you know, calling my mom and saying, Hey, I, I need to pay my rent. And her saying, you know, why are you calling me? I'm, I'm not talking to you. And kind of that feeling of betrayal and not knowing what to do or where to go. Or, um, I think I slept actually in a park the first night and, and pretty much everything that I owned that I could take with me fit into a backpack. And I think the, the first night it was, it was less fear and more just betrayal and, and kind of bewilderment at how I had ended up in that situation. And so what did you do the night after that? Like, what did you do the night after that, the night after that, night after that? how did you keep going feeling so alone and betrayed? You know, the interesting thing is that most, and I don't know that this is necessarily true, you know, across the board, but I know that in the situation that I was in, that the homeless people kind of have a community. And so when you encounter someone who is homeless and you have a conversation with them, they go, oh, well, here's where you can go and get some food and here's where the shelters are and you know, here's where you can try and take a shower and stay away from this place because they'll boot you out and, you know, things like that. And so I just kind of wandered around that first day until I ran into some other homeless people and just kind of had conversations and everyone kind of took me in and, and, you know, welcomed me for lack of a better term. Would you say you made friends? Yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, uh, everyone kind of looks out for each other. It was, it was amazing how this entire group of complete strangers, you know, suddenly were caring for me in ways that, you know, my family never even did. Mm-hmm. And so how did you get back on your feet? How did you find a place to live? Um, I actually went through the court system. Um, 
and uh, kind of battled with my parents to be named my my, pay, my I was I was on disability. Um, I was on disability for mental illness um, because I kept trying to kill myself, and so people didn't think that that was a logical thing to do, and so they said I was crazy. And um, <laughs> and so it was it was a really interesting battle to say, okay, clearly I'm like you know quote unquote crazy enough to need disability, but I'm not too crazy that I can manage my own money and I don't need my, my mom and my stepdad to be my payee mm. and, and trying to like, you know, walk that really fine line to be named my own payee so that they weren't being sent my money because they were using it for themselves and not taking care of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it took me about six months. I was homeless for about six months while I went through the process of battling in the courts to be named my own payee. Um, wow. And so, do you still have friends uh, who are on the street that you knew from that time? I don't. Um, I, my life ended up shortly after I, I got off the streets. My life went in a completely different direction. Um, and I, I ended up having a near-death experience. Um, and coming back from that, recognized that kind of things weren't going, you know, in an ideal way (laughs) (laughs) and, and, and that I had a choice and I really didn't know prior to the moment of waking up in the hospital that I had another choice other than what the world had told me of what was possible for me coming from where I had come from. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about how the near death, near death experience happened? Um, I overdosed. <laughs> I was actually um, going even more deeply. It's I woke up one morning and I had been in my my new apartment for about a month. And I woke up in the morning and I got this this you know kind of this voice in my head. Not saying like you know I heard voices, but you know how you kind of hear things. And I got this voice in my head that said, "You're going to die today." And it scared me to death because even though I had tried to commit suicide to the point where they had put me on disability, I never really wanted to die. I just didn't want the life that I had. Mm-hmm. And so I went downstairs to a neighbor's house and asked to use his phone so I could call suicide hotline. And I called suicide hotline and, and because that was the only thing that I could think of to do because I really didn't want to die. And, the, and this, you know, this knowledge inside of me was saying like, today's the day, today's the day you're going to die. And I was talking to this guy from Suicide Hotline and I said, you know, I need help. I need help. And if I don't get it, I'm going to die today. And he was like, well, what do you need? And I said, I don't know. I don't know what I need. I just know that I need help. And if I don't get it, I'm going to die today. And we kind of kept going around in the circle. And then um, worst customer service award ever, the Suicide Hotline guy says, can I call you back later? I need to take another call. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Yes. (laughs) Oh, wow. It, it, I was a volunteer on a suicide hotline, but that would still be a fireable offense. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so I was kind of like, and, and, you know, in my mind, like that was my last option. I didn't know what else to do. And so I was like, okay, sure. You know, sure. You can call me back. And so I started heading up back up the stairs to my apartment and I was, you know, and there's still kind of this knowledge of me saying, you know, you're going to die today. And I had this thought like out of nowhere that said, you know, your, your whole life you've been, you know, abandoned and abused and neglected and, 
it's been about everybody else. And if you really are going to die today, like if I'm really, if this is true and I am going to die today, it's going to be on my own terms. And so as weird as it sounds, um, it was my last and final suicide attempt, but it was my first attempt at actually reclaiming the power in my life. And I went upstairs and I took a six-month supply of a medication that was a derivative of something that I was allergic to. I had stopped taking it because it made me deathly ill. But I didn't want to get in trouble, so I kept refilling it. Um, and, and I went up and I took, like, the entire supply of pills. And apparently the guy from Suicide Hotline did call back. And my neighbor came up to get me for the phone, and that's when they found me. Hmm. Wow. So... What was the near-death experience like? Do, do you only remember waking up with a different awareness, or did you yeah. see the tunnel and the light? What happened? Yes, yes, it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was, you know, it's funny. I, uh, people kind of freak out because, I, you know, dying was the best thing that ever happened for my life. It was, it was <laughs> you know, I, I remember um, seeing my body laying in the bed, and everyone was rushing around the room trying to revive me. And I saw them, you know, breaking out the defibrillator and doing CPR and all this other stuff. And everyone was all frantic. And I felt this, this amazing sense of, of peace and love and acceptance and approval that I had never, ever, ever in my life felt before. You know, my, my whole life had been struggle and battle and not knowing if I was going to live from one day to the next. I was, you know, bounced from home to home to home. And I was, pretty severely abused in a lot of situations. And, and all of a sudden I was in this moment where there was nothing but pure love. And I remember going into the light um, and I did not personally see like relatives or anything like that, but I, I had conversation while I was there and I got to ask questions about, you know, different things that I wondered about. Um, and I felt like it was kind of a cruel joke because I got to ask anything that I wanted and it was readily answered. And then I couldn't remember a thing when I woke up. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I knew, I knew then in the moment, the only thing that I did remember, the only thing that I came back with was knowing that a part of my journey, that the, the things that I had been through had purpose and that a part of my purpose was to use my journey through, you know, the darkness in life to help others find and shine their light. Mm -hmm. And you did go on to do that. And I'm going to ask yes. you a bit more about that. But I first want to just ask you, what do you make of how strong your intuition has been? I mean, you've mentioned a couple different situations, but particularly that one where you just woke up knowing. Yeah. Know, with that, with that claircognizance or you know, maybe Claire audience, you describe it as, as hearing the voice. I know what that's mm -hmm. like when it's not really your voice, but it's not, it's kind of, right, know, right. Like, <laughs> it's like, if they sound friendly, not mean. Kind of thing. Yes, so exactly. If, they, if exactly. it is my voices in my head, like they seem kind of helpful. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. uh, what, what sense do you make of that? How do you relate to your intuition now that you've had these numinous experiences with it? You know, it's really funny because I think that I was, I went through, I've gone through different periods of my relating to that voice, that inner voice and, and listening to it and, and following it. And, um, I had an experience when I was in my, um, late twenties where I was going on a rafting trip, uh, with some friends from work and 
my intuition kept saying, don't get on the boat, don't get on the boat. And I kept like brushing it off going, oh, that's my fear talking. And, you know, I, and so I got on the boat and we had a horrible accident and we capsized and I was thrown headfirst into a boulder and, um, uh, ruptured a couple of discs in my neck and, you know, all this other stuff. And, so after that, I think, honestly, I was kind of scared not to listen to the voice. Right. So how do you discern now between your fear and your intuition? Is it a body sense or do you just listen every single time to that inner voice? You know, I think I think after that experience, I really kind of tap, like I go deeper with it. Like mm-hmm. I tap in and because that voice is never, it's never based in fear. It's always based in wisdom and love and caring for me and wanting my highest good. And, and so I've had to become really aware of, you know, what does fear feel like in my body? Mm-hmm. And is that this? And, you know, and sometimes there are, there are moments when it's still kind of difficult to discern, you know, especially if what it's telling me to do is something that scares me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. But, but yeah, it's just kind of cultivating the awareness inside of myself. Like, what do these different things feel like so that I know which is intuition versus which is fear? And I read an interesting response that you wrote on Quora. I don't know if people know about Quora, but it's like you can ask any question and just people around the world will, will mm-hmm. answer. And you right. answered that question about, about fear uh, by saying that, you know, if you're, if you're feeling a lot of fear when you think about uh, your your goal, you're putting it too far in the future. Right. And you could just pull it in yes. <laughs> a few steps, yes. you know, to something more manageable. So, yes. okay. Now you're a corporate coach. You, you train people on how to go for, you know, you t- share your story of going from homeless to six figures. What's the nutshell of that? How did that uh, become your life now? I mean, your intuition must have just gone into overdrive for you to be able to follow that thread because uh, as you said earlier you had these beliefs and they were being borne out in the way that you were being treated in the world so how did that happen you know that's actually not what I do now Um, what I do do that was kind of my interim Um, I went from you know being homeless to five years later I was a six-figure corporate consultant and (laughs) love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I had, you know, company like fortune 100 companies that, you know, I worked for that. I, I helped them figure out how to improve their businesses and how to, you know, improve their software quality and things like that. Um, what I tell people is that I, there were three things that it took for me to get there and it wasn't about really anything external. It was about what I had to do inside of myself. And so the first thing was that I had to get clear on where I wanted to go. Um, you know, I I see a lot of people and their struggle is that they say, I want a life that is better than this, which is what I had done for years. And instead of saying, I want better, I said, I got very, very specific and said, you know, because the, at the time, all I knew was what the world told me I should want. And so what I thought I wanted was to have like this great job so that I could make, you know, tons of money and buy new things. Um, and and I sent, you know, I learned later that that wasn't like, that wasn't the address for me to go to, but, um, but that's where I went at first. And so I got very clear and I said, you know, I want to make a hundred thousand dollars a year. And I wasn't clear on like how I was going to do it, but, um, I I just kind of had this sense that if I just, you know, followed where I was led that I could make that happen. And so my first step was, um, 
to go back to school. I had, I had dropped out of high school. I got my GED, uh, but it became really, really important to me in that moment after my near-death experience that I get my high school diploma, even though I already had a GED. And so I went to an adult high school program and actually took classes to make up for the credits that I was lacking to get a high school diploma. Um, and then went on from there to get my associate's degree and, you know, on and on and on. Um, but the, the, the biggest thing, though, the first step was getting clear, like, what do I really, really want? Instead of just saying, like, I want better or I don't want this, mm-hmm. I had to get clear and say, you know, I want a job making $100,000 a year and with these conditions and, you know, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Um, the second thing was that I had to shift my mindset. I had to break out of the belief that my starting point meant something. Because as long as I believe that, you know, if I'm starting here, I'm not going to be able to go there, like, then I, I wasn't moving, you know. And so, so I had to be able to say, yes, I'm starting here, and who cares? I can go over there anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to turn it into so just information instead of something that I was emotionally tied to. Um, and the third step was to take action, like consistent action. I see, you know, tons of people around me who are constantly learning new things and people say knowledge is power. And I disagree. I believe that <clears throat> action is power. Cause I see a lot of people that know a lot of things, but they aren't, if you're not actually doing something with it, then you don't really know it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where are you experiencing the most spiritual growth right now? You know, my current business, I, my, my official title is professional fear buster and I help heart centered entrepreneurs, conscious entrepreneurs, people who want to make a difference in the world, um, bust through their, their myths of inadequacy and fear and doubt so that they can trust their vision and step into it. And the interesting thing about doing that job is that I can only take people as far as I myself have gone. And so really stepping into that profession has grown me in ways that I never would have even imagined because, you know, I have to be the, the greatest version of myself possible in order to, in order to be a leader for others. Mm. Where does your intuition tell you you're going to grow next? Um, it's already kind of started this year. I think my, my biggest area of growth so far this year has been doing more speaking engagements. Mm. So reaching a broader audience as opposed to just, you know, one-on-one coaching with people and, and um, so kind of branching out a little bit more via speaking. Mm. What's the hardest part of that for you? Um, hmm. You know, I think uh, t- to be like really, really, truly honest is like turning that into business because I, I love speaking and I'm not, and it's not that I'm afraid to market or that I'm afraid to sell. It's more that I kind of forget, like I get caught up in the story and the speaking and I, and I forget to say, Oh, and here's how you can, you know, do more stuff with me if you want. Oh, I totally, I'm totally with you on that. I'm like, I'm just talking, we're in a relationship. Yeah. And then I forget, oh yeah, I have this website. You should sign up. Exactly. And I'll send you, or or I'll say like, oh, I'll mention like, oh, I have this podcast and then I'll get to the end and like, hey, any questions? People will be like, what's the name of your podcast? Yes, Yes. (laughs) exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Gotta get, 
a little more smooth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you today could go back like a guardian angel in a dream or something like that to a younger version of yourself, uh, how old would you be in that younger version? And what would you say to her? I think I would go back to when I was eight years old. I th there were some, um, there were circumstances that happened then that made me doubt some of the things that kind of came naturally to me. Like and, your talents and gifts? or your Yeah, like my, my talents and gifts and trusting my intuition and, and being kind of aligned spiritually. And um, I remember the, like, you know, I was terrified of my mother. And the only time I ever said no to her was one time in my entire life. And she was, I was eight years old and she wanted me to get baptized. And I said, no. And I think she was so shocked that I said, no. She said, why not? And I said, because that's not my God. And what I meant by that was that I believed in this benevolence presence that cared for me and loved me and not this angry, like the Southern Baptist, you know, hellfire and brimstone kind of God. Mm -hmm. But I think because that's the God that she had, what she heard in that statement was that I was a Satan worshiper. Right. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so, you know, things got pretty dicey after that. Um, <laughs> and so I think that I would go back and I would say to that version of myself, I think that I would simply say, trust yourself. Like stand in your truth and it will be okay. Mm. Mm. Okay, last question on the Numinous podcast uh, traditionally comes from the Proust questionnaire. And the question for you today, Shayla, is what do you consider perfect happiness? Hmm. Yeah, I think I have issue with the word perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't think that there's anything anything that perfect exists. I think it's a social construct. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that the happiness part is, I don't know, my life right now. You know, doing, like, I, I have an amazing social circle. I have a wonderful family. I'm very happily married. I have tons of fun. I laugh every day. I'm spiritually connected and I get paid to be me and to share my gift with the world in a way that feels good to me. Mm. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and being yourself. And I have really appreciated how honestly you've shared your story today, Shayla. I, I, I'm really impressed <laughs> with, with <laughs> you know, your life, but also how honestly you've shared. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. What a gift that sharing was today. I was kind of reeling, I have to say, when I got off that call with Shayla, but I think it's because the resonance cut close to home. I mean, I, I'm sure I've thought that same thought that I, I don't really want to die. I just don't want to live this life right now. Uh, so yeah, what a fantastically inspiring example of uh, the human spirit she is. So thanks very much, Shayla, for coming on the show. And thank you for spending this time with me today. 
especially I'd like to thank my listeners in Saudi Arabia. And I'm wondering if one of you might be Amna, whom I've worked with before. Uh, If so, hello, Amna, sending you many blessings from Canada. I hope you're well. For all of today's show notes, go to my website, carmenspaniola.com, C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A, and just click the link for the podcast, and that's where you'll find a link to Shayla's website. Shayla now works with heart-centered entrepreneurs, helping them uh, create really soulfully fulfilling love relationships while building their thriving business. And that's also where you'll find information about becoming a patron. If you'd like the show, you can let me know with as little as a bucket episode. Just click on the little link there, that, uh, that little button that says become a patron. And finally, to ensure that you never miss an episode, sign up to receive notifications at the bottom of my website. Until next time, take care. <laughs>